There's a guy named Andy Lee. He's made 300 or he's raised 300 million bucks to invest in tax receivable agreements. It, it maybe is the strangest. Maybe the title is actually quality here. Strangest and potentially un most unnecessary. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. It's the most wonderful time of the year, player haters. Portfolio reviews. Portfolio reviews. And prognations. Is that a word? No. No. <laughs> no we don't make prognations or what the, uh, <laughs> ah, now now you you ruined the other word we don't make predictions prognate procrastinate it's not <laughs> i don't know if i just made this. up a word or not you're gonna have to cut this we don't make forecasts we don't okay. make uh -huh. anything true. related true to forecasts on this show as we discussed last week this week is predominantly going to be a premium episode for the annual premium holders the eye roll with skippy and Dougals premium subscribers skippydoogles.supercast.com if you want to get that but we're going to hit on one story before we transition into it and for those of you who are not premium what you'll get is a compilation of some of our hottest stories this year for premiums you'll get the whole nine yards you know the funniest thing that happened to me last year i had a listener come up to me and be like i thought the premium premium uh subscription you guys were talking about was like an eye roll like i'm i'm completely over this podcast <laughs> it's like it's like no like i hop in the car like i roll with yeah skippy yeah. And ride yeah, or and die I, with skippy and Dougals. ride or die or or i roll <laughs> i like that i like that i never right, even thought about you, that me either to jump right into it we're going to continue a theme talk about an article from the journal called the tax whiz with the strangest hustle on Wall Street. There's a guy named Andy Lee. He's made 300 or he's raised 300 million bucks to invest in tax receivable agreements. It, it maybe is the strangest. Maybe the title is actually quality here. Strangest and potentially un most unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, no, this is where investors like to sell complexity. And the complexity of this is a pretty impressive hustle, right? It's real. So tax receivable agreements are triggered when, correct me if I get this wrong, when a business structured as a partnership or limited liability company goes public. The pre-initial public offering investors maintain an interest in the original company while the new shareholders of the stock are traded as a publicly traded entity, which then holds shares in the operating company and this then creates a tax asset, which can be used to reduce the, the company's tax bill. This dude, Andy, then purchases those agreements and waits until they're converted, which is not, there's not a set timeline to that. It kind of depends on what's happening with the company. Makes and, a decent return. Yeah. And what I'll say is, if those, if listeners, if you're out there and you heard Skippy just run through that sentence and you went, what did he just say? That's the whole point of the complexity. You don't even need to really fully understand what this thing is. 
the whole point is you read that sentence and go like, what the heck is that? So not, not throwing shade props. He has an average of 32 conversations a week to try and drum up deals. Most of these conversations start with, I don't have any tax receivable assets. And then he says, no, you actually do. Yeah. <laughs> Your company yeah. just went public. I'm looking at this structure and they go, huh? And then he goes, and I, I'll buy that from you. I'll buy that from you for cheap. This is where I think my conclusion of this is like, wow, interesting, fun, props. The dude's uh, historic performance has been about 15% a year. I'm not throwing shade at 15% a year, but doesn't this seem like a crazy amount of effort? It is. It just, so this article in the journal is talking about him running 5Ks in order to find customers. Like he will, he will go to a 5K race and run alongside you to convince you to, to do this. This is the effort that Skippy's talking about right here. It's a lot of effort. Now, I'm in full agreement with that. For 15%, it's a heck of a lot to go through. If the long game is you prove there's a market and then figure out some kind of way to automate this <laughs> or something, <laughs> then sure. But I'm not signing up for your cookout, you know, or whatever to like, to try and try and get some of this stuff done. You're not running a 5K for this? Not no, not but 15% a year. I, think I mean, I'll I guess it's 5K. It's not like a marathon a year. Like, I mean, come on. All right. Okay. <laughs> we'll put this on the uh the Substack on Monday so you can check it out. I think that the summary though, as Skippy was just saying, the summary uh, is if you want less effort for 50% a year, you can do it in public equities. You don't need to, to run 5Ks and convince people about that they own an asset and then convince them that you should then manage that asset for them for 15% a year. That's all we're saying. So what we're going to do next, we're going to transition into talking about our performance last year, discuss what we are investing in this year. So research recommendations as always. We're going to talk about that next for our I Roll with Skippy and Dougal's podcast spelled with an I and not like your eye socket, eyeball. <laughs> Dougals, are we going to start, are we going to rotate picks? How many, like, so this is kind of like on SNL when they tell each other's jokes. Like, I have not looked at your stock picks yet. I'm going to pull that yeah. up. How many stock picks do you have for me this year? There are three new buys. Three new buys, and then the Broadcom and the Dexcom are hanging out. Oh, boy. I, oh, my gosh. I'm so concentrated right now. I mean, I'm talking like I'm on some kind of Adderall type situation. I am so concentrated up in my portfolio. I mean, so last year I had a hissy fit about this and tried to uh, convince you to uh, sell down some of your top positions. Uh, that obviously didn't work. Um, no, and we talked two years ago, we talked about the Dougal's indicator. Yep, we Potentially did. spelling doom to the U.S. equity markets. Can and you gloom. give me an update on both of those things? And gloom. To hear the full episode where Skippy and I discuss what we're buying for this upcoming year, please go to skippydougals.supercast.com and sign up for the I Roll with Skippy and Dougals premium subscription. That's a top premium subscription. Otherwise, what we're going to have for the rest of this episode are what you told us were your favorite clips. Enjoy. A very famous individual in the world of podcasting today about i think it's about 12 years ago sometime 12 15 years ago went in front of mr warren buffet and mr charlie munger you gotta stop i know that's a joke you can't say buffet it makes you sound <laughs> like dummy head 
using right. my nine-year-old's uh, <laughs> vocabulary. It makes you sound like a dummy head. Okay, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. So at their annual meetings, the uh, the Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings, they always have a Q&A. People can come up, ask questions, right? Um, not anybody, right? But they select questions people to ask. I'm going to play maybe like the first 30 seconds, let's say, of this clip, and then we'll summarize a bunch of the other parts of it, which get to the heart of what you were talking about here. But I just really enjoy how, and by the way, this is Tim Ferriss is the famous podcaster I was talking about. I, well, here's what I love about this. We'll get to the investing part. But what I like about this is today, Tim Ferriss interviews all these people, right? World famous folks and is charismatic, is is he confident, is self-assured. I'm going to play this. Here's some stuff. Here's some stuff. Let's go to number six. Uh, hi, my name is Timothy Ferris. I am a guest lecturer at Princeton University twice a year. And I'd like to touch on an earlier question about investing with small sums of money. I'd like to ask both of you, if you were 30 years old again and had your first million in the bank, how would you invest it, assuming you're not a full-time investor, you have another full-time job, you can cover your expenses with other savings for about 18 months, no dependents, and it'd be really helpful for my students, for myself and others here, if you could be as specific as possible about asset classes, percentages, whatever you're willing to offer. Well, I'll be very simple. I. Can, can How I guess cute is that? answer? How uh, cute is that? Cute. It's, yeah, it's pretty cute. Okay. What part of the, there's so many layers of the onion to break down. The, what, mm-hmm. Where do you want to start? Well, I, I want to make sure that we do summarize Buffett's answer, but you just want to talk about the question. I'm going to break apart the question first. It's, it's classic Tim Ferriss, even though it's before he's famous. This is classic. <laughs> t- this is classic Timothy. Timothy. Okay. So. It's actually the thing I love about this Diggles is it reminds you that people come from somewhere in a, in like a very obvious way. Exactly. Um, he said guest lecturer at Princeton twice a year, probably because that's the coolest title he had at the time. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. Like, like you said, now he's, I don't know how many millions he's worth or how popular he is, but like, he's a big deal. And that was the best thing he had going for him 13 years ago. Yeah, I mean, his his like sub caption, you know, when they have, they have the caption when people are like in a documentary and they say what you what you are. Yeah. His sub caption now is multiple best selling New York Times author, number one podcast uh, mm-hmm. in America, angel investor, early investor in dot, dot, dot. Like he's got all this stuff like that happens now. And then he was like a couple times a year. I break into a lecture hall at Princeton, yell some things. <laughs> And leave. So I'm going to have to contact him and tell him that his his headline should be someone who doesn't follow Buffett's advice, because clearly Buffett did not tell him <laughs> to go write some books, invest in early stage companies. I mean, come on, man. How yeah, disrespectful is this? It's very true. It's very true. OK, to summarize the question, what Tim Ferriss is saying is he said, if you are an investor who is not a professional investor, you have a million dollars in the bank. You're young and don't have responsibilities, not married, no kids. How would you invest your money? 
That is the question. And then what, to your point, he got real Tim Ferriss about it and went, I want specifics. Like, tell me. It would be helpful which... for me and my students because yeah, exactly. I'm a guest lecturer. <laughs> exactly. He's like, uh, tell me what brokerage to use, who at that brokerage, what their email address is, where they went to college. Like he, Because Tim Ferriss loves to get into the detail. But he's saying, what are the asset classes? What percentage breakdown would you have? So can I can I guess at Buffett's answer? I honestly haven't listened to Buffett's answer. I just yeah. listened to the Tim Ferriss part. I bet he said index funds uh, with ten percent bonds. Is that what he said? You're very close. You're okay. very close. No bonds. He, he said one hundred percent index funds. Yes. He said, Ooh. yeah. He said, uh, you are self proclaimed amateur investor, and so I would put it all in a low cost mutual fund. Probably with Vanguard. That was Buffett's answer. You said this is 2010. When what year is this exactly? Um, this was no, it's 2008. So oh, okay. The, then the I understand why you said yeah, yeah, because the uh the S and P 500 is a deal at that point. So that yeah. makes sense. Now, where it ties back to what you were talking about before, which is a fantastic point, is Buffett also said, "No one else will give you that advice because they aren't paid to give you that advice." Yeah. <laughs> Mike drop skippity doo dah. Well, I loved it, it. Sorry, I can't get off the Edward Jones point. Edward Jones is giving you that advice. They're just charging a ridiculous sum of money to so you can stop by the office once a year. Mm -hmm. And so and they then, can like write down notes to remember your kids' names. <laughs> <laughs> which which Tim Ferriss wants to know. Tim Ferriss wants yeah, to know the kids. Tim Ferriss is like. The other part of this Tim Ferriss is like he wants a robot that sends him a quarterly email summarizing market performance and remembers his kids' names. Exactly. But to buy Vanguard funds. I love it. The other part of this I really liked is what Buffett says. He this sounds like it's condescending. And it might be. But I think it has a purpose for it. Because Buffett will often use synonyms, I'll say, for uh, amateur investors say something like a know nothing investor, right? Which might sound like a condescending term. The yeah. purpose of it, I think, I, I think a strong purpose, whether or not Buffett means this, I don't know, but a strong purpose of it that it serves is to emphasize how knowledgeable Buffett and Charlie Munger believe that you should be if you take the route of investing in individual stocks that's like their that's their belief structure i also mm -hmm. think that you should be pretty knowledgeable but that's why they use this but here's here's what buffett says you'll get a perfectly decent return doing what i said over a 30 to 40 year period and why would you expect anything more than that when you don't bring anything to the party it's pretty condescending i don't think he mean <laughs> he meant it that way but no this is the the real challenge when it comes to investing like Hardly anyone wants to spend the time to do the actual research to understand the human psychology that is as a play and everything else. And then everyone wants above average return. And what he's saying there, you know, he's similar to Munger, who we talked about last week in terms of he's just not going to beat around the bush anymore. He's answered the same question thousands of times. And that's the right approach. Yeah, I totally Agreed. am on board. Agreed. I buy it. I loved it. Love the clip. Love everything about it. Love the beginning nervousness. Love the answer. 
talking about time, I'm going to pass the fishbowl over to you and let you reach in on how much is someone's time worth? Here, I'm going to say something to that. I'll be kick it back to you. You can actually read the tweet. It's okay to think things like this out loud or in your head. Saying them out loud is a whole nother level of, I don't have the right word for it because it'd be mean, but then posting them in a public forum as if it's a good lesson for people to learn or something. This is bold. I don't know what this dude was thinking. So what we're talking about is at Rob B. Frazier. And this person, founder by, by their Twitter description, founder, CEO of Outweigh Socks, right? scaling a bit sock business to 100 million plus. Okay, so here's the tweet. My flight to Vancouver was canceled and it cost me $10,000 to take the ferry instead. Hold up, $10,000 for a 90 minute ferry? Mind blown emoji. Well, sort of. The ferry from Victoria to Vancouver costs $160 and three hours, 15 minutes of my time. Boat emoji. To take a seaplane costs me $220 and one hour, 15 minutes of my time. Propeller plane emoji. So I saved $60 by taking the ferry, right? Nah, I value my time at a minimum of $5,000 per hour. Sounds like a lot, but honestly, it's not. So an extra two hours of travel time actually cost me $10,000. I know some people will read this and think I'm an idiot, but time is everything. You don't get it back. How much would you pay for more time at the end of your life? I'd pay so much more than $60 to get those two hours back. I think about this with everything I do. Now, before you respond, hold on, before you respond, I will say this. Looking further down in this thread, my favorite thing was, you got to go a little bit down, but someone responds with, it appears you make socks, please. And then he, he, he replies with, the best socks. And then just puts, his, uh, puts a link to his company's website in there. But anyway, I, I, to, your, to your like initial like point, even before I read it, like when you were um, giving the overview here, this is one of those things where you're like the, maybe people don't go through all these steps that I'm about to lay out before they tweet, but you think a thing and then you say, this thing is worth letting other people know about. And then you fire up an application and then you start writing it and it's not short. And while you're writing it, you're like, yeah, people do really need to know this thing that I'm saying. It's not just like your thought goes to Twitter. Like you make a series of decisions. And one of those decisions is to say that at a minimum, your time is worth $5,000 an hour. Rob, we haven't met, but nice to meet you. I'm never buying your stupid (laughs) song. All right. That's my whole take. This reads outrageously. (laughs) Dougal's to your point. He pays for Twitter blue too. So when he hits send, so he had to spend the the 10 minutes to write this up. Oh my goodness, did he do the calculation on how much of how much that cost him for his time? Then he hit send and ask him to verify the send. It gives him 30 seconds to take it back. Then even like the next five, 10 minutes, he could have been like, This is gonna come across in a way where I sound like an absolute jerk. And I have there's like no true logic behind the $5,000 per hour figure. Absolutely no logic. Yeah, exactly. So what he tried to do is, is have a thought in his head, I assume, that said, my time is valuable. 
props to you, but that that's a everyone's time is valuable, and I appreciate you thinking that way. But if and your time's that has- valuable, buy your own helicopter, buddy. Because oh wait, you probably can't. As Tiffany McGuire puts in the in the replies, this feels silly because you could have made a more coherent point if you just stuck to the time and price difference and left out the incredibly arbitrary $5,000 per hour that makes you seem out of touch. It's worth an extra $60 to take a seaplane because you value two hours more than 60. Simple. And he, he replies, yes, this is the lesson in hindsight. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> But delete the tweet already, bud. Like <laughs> another one is uh, the comments are pretty good, so we're down around the hole here. But who cares? Uh, I like the how much does one sitting on the toilet cost? And he replies, depends on the meal. This dude is all up. He responds to basically every comment. Clearly, he does not value his time at five thousand dollars an hour because he just wasted like ten thousand yes. dollars on Twitter, uh, creating a firestorm <laughs> that he didn't have to create. And now, literally, if I see these socks anywhere, I'm going to, like, put them under a bin so no one can buy them. Just sounds like a jerk, man. Not, not only am I not buying your socks, no one will ever buy your socks again. <laughs> just so don't be just a jerk. Clear. Like, it, this actually goes back to um, the CEO of Herman Miller, basically, at the start. Yeah. Like, you just don't have to condescendingly go on this crusade to talk about pity city you can just be kind that's all it takes that is that is very true <laughs> i mean it started off with a biggity biggity bang wang you know what i mean i'll talk about the oh, Denver be Nuggets. careful all right listen <laughs> biggity bang wang is not something you should go around said no i checked apple's list of words you can't say to keep the podcast clean and biggity bang wang <laughs> Not, on, not on that list. No, it's not on the list. It might get added after this episode, but not on the list so far. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, Dougal's made a real live appearance at Game 5 of the NBA Finals last week. And championship, baby. How was it? Oh, it, dude, the energy was wild. Wild. People have been waiting for decades for this to occur. So solid. Amazing energy. Meb Faber was there. So I slid into his DMs, yep. which my wife told me I'm not allowed to say. I'm not even sure if that's the right thing, but I slid into his DMs. I was like, let's meet up. But I think too busy. He was too busy. But it was it was so epic. And the game was uh, was not a great game. Very low scoring. It was 99% of what the Nuggets did was play defense, but it was fairly solid, right? Their offense was off, so they held the other team back in defense. But then at the end, it exploded. The whole place exploded. Did you see Aaron Gordon walked home? He just like he lives a mile away or something. He he left the stadium without a shirt and as one does basketball shorts and just like walked home with the fans drinking beers. <laughs> I did not see. I didn't see that. That's a sounds about right though. Christian Brown decided not to wear a shirt for the next four days. So it's all... yeah, I mean, and more power to all of them. I absolutely would. I haven't seen Jokic without a shirt, but that's a, a different mm. story. Charles Barkley described Jokic as a big bag of milk. <laughs> so I don't know if anyone's asking for the big bag of milk to uh, uncarton themselves, as it were. So this guy, I actually want to talk about Nicola just okay. for a moment. Because okay. he did something that actually ties back to investing that boggles my mind. So first and foremost, 
I'm a basketball nerd and a stats nerd. So if you want to come at me about top uh, postseasons of all time, please do. The reasonable facts would say what he did is basically one of the top 10 uh, postseasons in the history of the league. Averaged 31 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists per game uh, through the entire postseason. The team was 16-4, and four, if I remember Epic. correctly. I Epic. mean, just absolutely crushing. You can look at the advanced stats. It's incredible what this guy uh, did. After the game, he's interviewed, and he was asked a a wide variety of things. But there's this realization that he can't just go home, but that he has to stay and celebrate. And listen, he had tons of fun celebrating. I'm sure he doesn't actually mean what he said, but I want to play this audio clip for you that talks not only about his surprise that he's stuck in Denver for a few more days, but also him talking about how basketball fits into his life. So again, I think the context is really important. This guy had one of the top 10 postseasons in NBA history. He's a two-time league MVP. He's he's clearly the best player in the world right now. And this is what he has to say about basketball. (laughs) Nicola, Darren McKeek, 104.3 The Fan. Um, You said after the Lakers win... You said you were surprised that you didn't feel more. So I'm curious what you are feeling right now and if you're looking forward to a parade coming up in Denver. When is parade? When is parade? Thursday. No. I need to go home. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's a... I mean, we succeed, uh, we succeed in our jobs, and we 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 won we won the whole thing. It's a it's a it's a amazing feeling. But like I said before, it's not everything on the world, you know. I think I think still, if uh, okay, I won it. Okay, we not, not I, we won it. But I think it's not the most important thing in the world. Still, uh, there is a bunch of things that uh, that I like that I like to do. I mean, probably that's no, that's a normal thing, you know. Nobody likes his uh, his job, or maybe they do. They're lying. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's a good feeling when you know that you did something that nobody believes, and just it's, it was just us. It's just the organization of Denver Nuggets believe in us. Uh, every player believe in each other, and I think that's that's the most important thing. All right, there's there's three parts of that interview. The first part is. Him being extremely frustrated that he finds out the parade is three days later and he's stuck in town. <laughs> he almost buries his head in his hands. It's like, no, no, I got to go home, which is just a real live reaction. Then the second part is him saying basketball is just a thing in my life. And I don't know why I get so hung up on that, but I picture like Jordan crying and hugging with the ch- trophy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Kobe, like literally making basketball his entire life since the probably he's the age of six uh and you see the joy and relief that comes with winning an nba title folks like kevin garnett i mean there's so many people that have made that trophy the pinnacle for them and really i think sacrificed everything outside of the sport simply to try and achieve that moment and he's i mean that's i don't know 30 minutes after he wins the title and the playoff mvp trophy and he's kind of like can I go home now, guys? <laughs> <laughs> this is not the most important thing in my life. I guess that contrast just 
it just got to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the third part is he says, this is just a job. Nobody really likes their job. Like he's treating this like he's he's your trash pickup dude or something. I mean, amazing. The I don't know. Yeah, it is fascinating. Like even when because he's like this throughout even throughout the season, right? It's it this this puts it in a whole different level because of what you mentioned. One of the best performances ever for the pinnacle of what most people would say to play this game is like what they play the game for, and this is what he's coming out with. It's, it's probably also why he's described as a big bag of milk. Yep. Like yep. it's not, he, he's not this uh, finely tuned. His entire life is built around, you know, being uh, pristine for the game of basketball. The guy, he's probably going to leave and ride horses. Like when he leaves here, like that's actually what he loves. Have you ever seen him in his little horse buggy? Oh, I have. Yeah. When he's like in his horse buggy, he's so, yeah, it's like, He's like a, a child that just got his Nintendo for the first time, you know, right in the mid 80s is what he is when he's in the horse buggy. When he wins the championship, he's like, that's cool. I got paid to do it. Yeah. And like, this is good. This is what yeah. I'm I'm here for. So uh, the investing parallel, I don't know if this is true, but I want to bounce it off of you. But I think of like the Jordans and the Coeys that basketball consumed their life yeah, as yeah, like yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett. The other people that like truly passionate, like I think Stanley Drunken Miller, like he says, I wake up at six on a Saturday and continue yeah. working because it's reading ten k's, yeah. right? I think I don't know, maybe a, a Jim Simmons is like, hey, I I figured I cracked this code, but investing's not really what I'm here for. I just like getting rich. I don't know. Maybe Edward Thorpe it took him was like three decades to crack that code. <laughs> yeah. So, know, was, you know, not, whatever I mean, it was, it wasn't that long. Who's, something the, like that. who's the investor. That's like one of the world's best. That's kind of like, Oh, this is okay. I can't wait to get back and ride my horses. Does it exist? It, it, I mean, joke. It's that odd. You know, who might come closest. I don't know this, but it's Thorpe. Okay. That, that's a name yeah. I in the, in my head, but yeah, yeah maybe i don't know yeah i don't know but thorpe before we talked about him before in the pod but for those that don't know a lot about thorpe he at thorpe is his name he cracked the black shoals options equation before black shoals did and then once they did and put out a paper he had to he was like well you just put my formula like out in the world so it doesn't work quite as well all right i'll go do something else before he got into investing he was playing roulette it's about the uh, the craft. Maybe that's actually what's different because he used the same general craft in a variety of different ways. So he was all about that, the craft of mathematics, so to speak. Yes. Whereas it's not like, I don't know what else Jokic is going to go do that uses the same <laughs> like broad skill set. When he's in his horse and buggy, he's just buggying. There's, there's, no, there's no pick and rolls. There's no spin moves, right? There's no hook shots. He's just sitting and smiling. There's a follow-up interview where they they dig in on that, and he's kind of like, "Basketball's a thing I do because I'm good at it." But he, the silence almost implies like he doesn't really want to do it. It's just really that <laughs> it's my job. Like yeah. I'm re I'm required to do this. I just happen to be incredibly I, I was, well competent. I was talking to someone about Jokic the other day, and mostly about how, the fact that he doesn't do endorsements. Name a commercial that Jokic has been in. And when you when you take what you talked about, back to back MVP, you take this finals appearance, you take how he's gotten 
I see increasingly more and more attention over the past couple of years, but especially this year. He's got tens of millions of dollars easy in endorsements that he could pull in every year and does nothing. A lot of it because of what you're talking about here, and he just doesn't care. Like, that's just not why he does it. My point, though, was I said, even if he doesn't care about endorsements for himself or the game, when you're leaving that much money on the table, I mean, he could say, I'm going to do four commercials a year and give it all to Serbian children. Or I'm going to do four commercials a year and start like an equestrian farm so that, you know, blah, whatever, for whatever reason. And it just, it seems interesting also that he's just like, I know, I like, I don't want to, so I'm not going to like, there isn't, there isn't much more conversation it seems. And I don't know exactly what his thought process is, but looking at it outside in, I mean, he does have a Nike deal Wait, and then I don't know but, what but he does you, outside but of the US. endorsement Nike deal. Yeah, he does. Um, what, can you send me anything? I can because they sent out so Nike, best marketing company in the world, in my opinion, it's an incredible company. They uh, had a like a video go live as soon as they won the title, specifically branded for with his logo and everything, which I had never seen. This goes to oh, okay. your point. Okay, like, so this is brand because okay. he's not in the commercials, but he clearly has a relationship with them. But it, in a way, it reinforces your point. Like <laughs> he's signed a contract with Nike, but you never hear from him about because of how quiet and understated he is. I don't know, man. I, it's mm. just a fascinating character. Like, I, I can't get into his psyche and really figure out uh, what's good or what's bad. Or The opportunity costs you bring up are great because there's $20 million on the table for free if he wants it. Yeah. But he doesn't appear to want it. And there's a, a huge part of me that wants to just say, good for him. Everyone gets caught up in the rat race he doesn't appear to be caught up in the rat race. He doesn't appear to be the person saying, hey, I know I make $50 million a year, but I need that to be 100 He just yeah. appears to say, this is good. I'm happy. I just want to go home. Good for him. He's, he's more like a, like a Bobby Fisher. You know, show up, become a grandmaster, and just exit. <laughs> like, and that's the, that's, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but it, it's the, the attachment is what I'm talking about. Like the attachment to whatever that thing is. I think there's probably a lot more behind the Bobby Fischer yeah. situation. Life's lessons. Life's lessons. We've hit on a a few of these in the past where someone said like, look, I'm old at this point and I just want to put down some things I've learned. And this one I enjoyed a few points from. This is Byron Ween, I think is how you pronounce it, from Blackstone Group. Oh, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I enjoyed this. And I don't know Byron or his history. Me neither. But these were really quality points. And so there, I'm going to name, there were 20 of them. I'm going to name three that really stuck out to me, although I could really talk about all 20. And if there are others that stood out to you, we can, we can chat about those. Here are the three for me. The first one, and this is the first that this is number one on the list. It's about focusing on big ideas. It says, concentrate on finding a big idea that will make an impact on the people you want to influence. That's the, there's actually two points that are in this, but that's the first one. And what he's saying is, put your effort into a thing that you can then create a flywheel around and like continue to invest in and make it better and better and make sure that thing is of interest to the people that you actually want to influence. That's the first point. I think that's huge. I love, I love concentration in all parts, parts of life. <laughs> 
to my detriment sometimes. Yeah. The the second point that's in here is that the, the last uh, phrase in it is keep yourself at risk intellectually all the time. I really love that. Don't become complacent in your own mind. I love that too. I was thinking about the way that's worded. Like, I don't know why I love it so much, but it does say basically you can't allow your thoughts to stagnate. And we, in doing so, you're at risk when your thoughts stagnate. It, so you have to be in a place that's uncomfortable for you intellectually in order to be growing is kind of the way I read it. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way I read it too. That there's the, I, I call it productive tension. And when you're at this point where something is like, it, it doesn't quite feel right. So like, let me push a little bit further. That's the place where you start to grow. And it doesn't mean the thing that you're leaning into is necessarily the right thing, but it might kick off something that you hadn't thought of before. I love that one. Second one, and this is just talk your book for me, read all the time. Now for me, it might also be listen all the time because I do a lot of audiobooks, but read all the time. Don't just do it because you're curious about something. Read actively. And this isn't just talking about books. It's talking about articles and other stuff too. It's like just consuming content. For me, I think that that's like a big part of actually pushing on the thing that we just talked about before. Uh, just exposing to different perspectives, different thought processes that you might not have thought about before, uh, I think is super important. So that's another one that spoke to me. Agreed. I know you have one more. You, you jumped over my two favorites. So I'm going to jump in here. So yeah, go for it. Point two is network intensively and network gets a bad connotation. Here's the next sentence. Luck plays a big role in life and there's no better way to increase your luck than by knowing as many people as possible. So I mentor students at the local university and we are always talking about some fashion of this and they are always terrified about networking in quotes. And what I tell them basically goes back to point number one for Brian iron here is like if you find a big idea that you want to have an impact and that is interesting to you it's not networking any, anymore it's going to talk to interesting people about a topic that you share a love for and when you do that and you cast as broad a net as possible then luck naturally flows your way so like those two points you you stack them on top of each other and oh my goodness you just have a like incredibly fruitful career organically it's amazing and to use a different word because to your point network the word like networking does get a bad rap to use a different word that is just right up the the line of what you're saying is if you if you say the the first one that we talked about is focus on big ideas push yourself intellectually the second thing i would say is engage with that content yes yes that's right? the right way like, to say it. engage with the world with it i i like that one too okay right, so you, and then yep my absolute favorite one is point three on this list. I'm just going to read it. It speaks for itself. When you meet someone new, treat that person as a friend. Assume he or she is a winner that will become a positive force in your life. Like, that's amazing. I'm bad at that. There's a lot of times where I'm, you know, my head is elsewhere. I'm trying to solve another problem or figure out why, why Dougal's likes Twilio and, and my brain is there. But man, if you can meet a new person, assume they're smart, a winner, treat them as a friend. You're like 90% of the way there. Assume he or she is a winner. Yeah, it's, there was a, it, it's a different point, but maybe along the same lines, there was someone about uh, 10 to 15 years ago 
that was saying that when you're talking to someone, naturally, sometimes someone's face, like your own face when you were talking to someone might be like in a, a position that you might not think it is in, right? Like you might be <laughs> like frowning or, you know, like, but yeah. you might be thinking. And so your face is all squinty, right? And so what the thing that they said is think about or put in your mind a good attribute about that individual while they're talking and your face will naturally get to like a more approachable place. And it's a, that's a more like physical manifestation here, but it made me think about this here. It's just like it with the, the person that you're talking to, if you assume that they are just good as a human and, and as what they do, and you assume that what they're saying is true and you assume that they know what they're talking about, like make those assumptions. And as it states, you might get burned sometimes. Yeah. But net net, it's going to prove to be a better conversation, a better relationship. I would, I just really like this framing assume he or she is a winner and will become a positive force in your life like that thought in the back of your head doogles probably puts a smile on your face when you're yeah. doing the first introduction yeah absolutely absolutely the the last one i'll say and i'm skipping a lot here because i could seriously go through all of them the last one is number 14 the hard way is always the right way that one gives me pause because generally i'm in a efficiency guy and that comes from a my technical background and doing a lot of ridiculous math problems growing up and like those sort of things his joke here he's clearly a guy that uh worked in new york city right so it's never take shortcuts except when driving home from the hamptons uh makes me laugh but i don't know that that one is a 100 percent truth i think in most cases trying to take shortcuts leads to more work long-term than just doing it right the first time. But that one gives me pause. What, what is it that you like about it? Yeah. I, so I don't think any of them are hundred percent, but I think you even mean, you think that there are meaningful divergences from this that people should keep in mind is what I'm going to interpret what you said as, I think it's better to live by this rule than to not is the way I would take it. I like it because I oftentimes with folks will say, they'll be like, ooh, that's going to lead to a hard conversation. Or, oh, actually, like, I don't know. That's a hard choice. And I legitimately say back to them, that's actually not a hard conversation or a hard choice. Like, it's very simple. Because the word hard for me, I think you could replace with something different that's like the more uncomfortable, mm -hmm. which is different. Uh, and so it depends on how one might define hard here. But if I replace that with uncomfortable, I'd say the uncomfortable way is always the right way. It's the thing that that's a different word. It's a very different word. Yeah, no, but so here's where I'd 100% agree with that. And I think this is where you're headed. When I figure out that the hard or uncomfortable thing is the right thing to do, what I've learned is you do that as quickly as possible. You don't even sleep on it and and don't sleep because you're so worried about the hard thing that you have to do or the difficult or uncomfortable conversation that you have to have like or the person you potentially have to let go or like those sort of things i've found once you have clarity about that you should do it basically as soon as possible and move forward rather than have it drag down your company or your mindset to pull it back to investing for a sec the advice that we throw out, whatever you want to call it, that we throw out to the general world, buy a low-cost index fund and then forget about it, right? That yeah. general advice. 
that is the hard way. Although it's literally the easiest thing to do. <laughs> like it is the easiest thing to do from a logistics perspective. It's simple, but it's really hard for people to be that disciplined mm -hmm. and to fight against their own emotion and behavior and all that kind of stuff. But it's the hard, like that's why it's the hard way, which is where I, my, that's why if you, if you extend that, my interpretation of this is not the, like find the broken glass with the most logistically difficult, inefficient thing to do. And that's right. Like that's, yeah. that could also be a definition of hard. I'm more saying like the, the thing that, that pushes boundaries that creates some discomfort or that makes you have to like push back against your own nature can often be the right way. So that's why I like it, but I hear you. I, I hear you. That's true. Last one. I really think this list is fun. Basically every there's 20 points, everything I want to say I agree with, but it's more complicated than that. Like everything makes you think positively about bettering. Like it's just good advice. His last one is never retire. If you work forever, you can live forever. I think about that slightly differently, but with almost the same outcome. Find the thing that doesn't really feel like work, where networking doesn't feel like networking, and it will become part of who you are. It can fit into your life with the appropriate work-life balance. And then you're just living your life. You're not working and living and therefore why would you ever want to retire you just will want to continue to live your life in a way that's constructed positively that one also goes back to the first point yeah for me because many times the word like retirement or the verb retire is leave a specific job which is different than never stop pushing yourself intellectually or like engaging with the world because you could say, yeah, I'm retired. Like with this person, I've left Blackstone Group, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Like I've, so I'm retired. But that doesn't mean that you've, you've stopped like a research point of interest or that you've stopped like contacting people to discuss important topics or that you've stopped being on boards or like your life doesn't have to stop because you left your job as well. So same general point. I like it. Yeah. It's good stuff. Always stuff. It's good stuff. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it. And as always, our one-stop shop is skippydougals.com. And please send us listener mail, skippydougals at gmail.com. 